The Baltimore Ravens beat the Houston Texans in week one, 25 to nine, but they do so losing J.K. Dobbins to a torn Achilles. We talk about how the Ravens could replace Dobbins and if they should trade for a disgruntled Colts running back all coming up next here on Locked on Ravens. You are Locked on Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to another edition of Locked On Ravens. Of course, we're a daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. I'm here with you, host Kevin Ostraker of Ravens Wire here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thanks so much for being here and making us your first listen each and every day. Free and available all podcasting platforms, including in video form on YouTube. Today's episode of Locked On Ravens is brought to you by Prize Picks, the easiest and most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Go to prizepicks.com slash lockdown NFL and use code all lowercase lockdown NFL for a first deposit match. Up to a hundred dollars. Again, we're five days a week here on Locked On Ravens. You can subscribe on YouTube, follow along in audio form. Also, subscribe over on Subtext if you want text updates and more Ravens news and analysis. There, it'll be in the description below. It's Taco Tuesday after a victory Monday. Here to get into it is our Taco Tuesday guest, Spencer Schultz of Exit Fifty Two, the Jumbo Set, and Spencer Ravens football was finally back. I know it was a victory Monday yesterday, but I know for some people, it didn't necessarily feel like one as. The Ravens pick up a 25 to nine win that was a little sloppy for, for both teams, honestly, but the Ravens, of course, and then they lose JK Dobbins. They lose a bunch of other starters. How are you feeling after that? Yeah, it was definitely a sloppy performance, especially offensively. Lamar Jackson uh, gets yard staled in uh, the Texans territory. Then later just puts a football on the ground in the backfield unforced and Justice Hill kind of kicks it into the secondary a little bit. Threw a bad interception as well. So if you consider that, you consider that your offensive line didn't play well, especially in the first half. You had to make some adjustments. And the fact that you were a 10-point, 9.5-point, 9-point, 10-point favorite and covered, I think it's better than you think it is. But regardless, you end up losing four starters and really four key players, two of your highest paid players, two of your highest expectation players, your most important positions, free safety and left tackle, a budding young center who you have high expectations for him as a first-round pick, and then probably your most dynamic running back. So tough to know that you're going to be without at least two of those guys for a really long time, and the other two are probably not going to be around until it starts to get cold outside. So uh, feels a little tough, feels a little gloomy, but nonetheless, when you look around this slate, you see the Falcons won by 14. You see the Packers won by 18. You see the 49ers blew out the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Cowboys won big. But a lot of these other games were one-score games. And you got business handled. You're 1-0. 53% of teams that start 1-0. Or excuse me, of Super Bowl winners, 53% of them started 1-0. And of teams that start 0-1, 75% of them don't make it to the Super Bowl. So uh, getting that one in, starting 1-0. Now you've got your 16-game schedule like it was a couple years ago. But you've already started ahead of the field. So Got business done, kept a rookie quarterback under 10 points at home like you were supposed to, had a strong defensive performance like you were supposed to. You feel like you can rely on your defense like you're supposed to. And therefore, got a couple tough games, got another rookie quarterback wedged in there, a lot of divisional games coming up, and time to uh, take that slow roll approach to preseason. Well, now you're suddenly kind of free-falling down the side of a cliff trying to get 
going, get hustling, get all the film work, all the homework, all the proper adjustments in based on what kind of felt like an exhibition game in many ways. Yeah, and especially because the Ravens didn't play their starters in the preseason. So this was the first live game action that most of those guys had had all offseason. They had the joint practices, but obviously that's a different thing going from just practicing to the regular season. But with the Dobbins injury, Spencer, it's, just, it's so brutal for J.K., and everything that he's been through to get back to the point that he was at, you know, tearing up the knee in 2021, coming back in 2022, having to go back under the knife. And now his season's over. He never missed a game in college. He's now on tap to miss 43 games in his first four NFL seasons, which is just a crazy wild stat to me. And I know the conversation now shifts once of what the future holds for JK and Baltimore, but the more immediate question is, well, how are they going to replace him? Obviously, Everybody moves up, a ring on the depth chart. Gus Edwards becomes your number one, Justice Hill number two. They activate Melvin Gordon, so he's number three. You also got Keaton Mitchell and Owen Wright's on the practice squad there. But a lot of conversation has come up, Spencer, about Jonathan Taylor. And it even came up before J.K. got injured about, oh, well, they should trade for Jonathan, do the Jonathan for J.K. swap. And now people are saying, well, now that J.K.'s done for the year, can Gus Edwards be that guy? Can Justice Hill be that guy? Or do they need somebody else? So in your eyes, do you think it makes sense for the Ravens to trade for a guy like Taylor, which will probably cost a lot of draft capital, maybe a good player, plus a huge contract? Or do you think they can ride it out with what they have and or maybe a free agent addition like a I don't know, Leonard Fournette or something? If the Ravens could get Jonathan Taylor without paying him, and if they could get him for maybe a fourth round pick, I think that would be a home run. Um, if they could get him for a third round pick, I think that would be at least a double or a triple. I just don't know that having a running back that sustained injuries that you were relying on to get healthy, get hurt, and then trading for a running back that just had a foot issue and hasn't been practicing, and then giving him a huge contract before he gets here or right when he gets here, I don't know that that is good business or confident business for the Ravens. But with that said, if the Ravens were to go acquire Jonathan Taylor, I would be super fired up for them offensively. I think they need firepower. Gus Edwards had a couple of nice runs. I thought that when I was, you know, looking back before I kind of got into the, the all 22 tables, like, oh yeah, okay. Gus Edwards, you know, looked good a couple of times. Didn't look like he was in great shape. Justice Hill did look pretty solid, pretty quick, pretty decisive. Looked like he was able to um, hit holes with some confidence and with a little bit of momentum and obviously can do things in the past game. The Ravens re-signed him for a reason, you know, deserves a shot, all those things. And beyond that, you've got Melvin Gordon, who has led the NFL in fumbles since he joined the entered the NFL in most years. Uh, I think last year he was tied for the lead as well with only 100 carries. Then you've got Keaton Mitchell, who I think is an exciting young player that a lot of people have hopes for and looked really sharp in the preseason, but we didn't really see him run between the tackles at all whatsoever. So having a player that can maybe replace some of the in-space ability of J.K. Dobbins and Keaton Mitchell, that's nice, uh, but I don't know that we have anything close to a sure thing of Keaton Mitchell being able to come in and be able to be a versatile, well-versed back. So to me, it's like, all right, Justice Hill looked solid. Gus Edwards looked okay. And then you've got Melvin Gordon and a rookie UDFA that is stashed away for a while and, you know, might be able to give you some splash plays. So with that, I think, you know, priority number one might be safety, might be offensive line reinforcements, frankly. Cornerback probably is way higher on that list too, still. And with that, 
I don't know that the Ravens pulled the trigger on that move. I think they have maybe some other cracks or leaks to plug first. But, hey, if you go get an explosive playmaker, if he is healthy, if you know that he's healthy, you feel good about that, sure. I think that would be a cool move. I think the Ravens have been sniffing around paying a running back for a little while. We do know that they had contract negotiations with J.K. Dobbins. But, again, got to know that that foot's in a good spot. Taylor does have a lot of uh, usage, wear and tear, things like that. So I don't know that paying him a handsome contract before you've had him here uh, for any sustained amount of time would be in their best interest or something they would like to do. Yeah, and I, based off of what you said, I mean, I'm with you where I think, hey, it'd be really cool. Like, I've been a big Jonathan Taylor guy for a while. I love him getting back to Wisconsin. But to me, if you can get him at a price that is not going to, you know, like with what the Colts reportedly asked for from the Dolphins or the Colts going to come up and say, yeah, well, we'll do it. You just got to give us safe flowers at a first. Obviously, that's a no deal if you're the Ravens. But I think if you get an explosive player and he can stay healthy, it's a fine move. Do I think it's likely... Probably not, but a two-part question, Spencer. How much does the injury to J.K. lower the Ravens' rushing offense, their ceiling? And if Taylor were to come in, how much would he raise it back up? So I think the things that J.K. Dobbins does better than anyone currently on the Ravens roster and most people in the NFL are force missed tackles in space, whether it's missed or broken tackles, and has a really efficient, explosive run rate. He will turn five-yard runs into 15-plus-yard runs quite frequently. We saw him do that in a check down. We saw him break a couple tackles. On top of that, well, I do think Gus Edwards is a super efficient short yardage player. I believe at this point, J.K. Dobbins, I, I can't remember the exact number. I calculated it last year. I think I might have even talked about it on this show. I think J.K. Dobbins has like 11 or 12 career touchdowns on like 25 touches inside the five-yard line. So someone that was explosive, someone that – forced, missed, and broken tackles, and was really capable of finding the end zone in goal-to-go situations when you fed him the ball. Of those things, I think Gus Edwards can be a nice goal-to-go back as well. Um, Gus Edwards is also an efficient runner in terms of explosive run rate. Maybe not someone who's going to house long runs, but Dobbins only had one of those, I think, in his career as well. So I think what you're missing is just someone that, whether it's in the pass game or whether it's in the run game, perimeter runs, runs up the interior, that's really going to force missed and broken tackles at a high clip. And like we saw Zay Flowers do, just turn first downs out of not first downs, make a lot out of a little. And watching J.K. Dobbins, the other guy in this game for the Ravens that was, like I said, forcing some of those missed and broken tackles, finding the end zone, um, that's going to be missing a little bit. So you're going to be a little bit more stock, a little bit more basic at running back. You're not going to look spectacular. A lot of it does, yes, of course, have to do with what your offensive line and your tight ends and your Pat Ricards can go open for you. But I just don't know that there's a lot of uh, dazzle in the Ravens running back room. But, hey, Justice Hill, the Ravens paid him. Tons and tons of reports coming out of camp and people saying, hey, don't count out Justice Hill. He looks great in this Todd Munkin offense, in this true zone kind of offense that was a little bit more like what he had at Oklahoma State than what – Ravens had with Greg Roman. So uh, I think Justice Hill is going to have a really nice season if he can stay healthy. And that's the other thing here. Who's to say another one of these guys doesn't miss a month or two months or a season. So once you start thinking, would we be okay if, or, or are we okay without the question you should ask yourself is let's remove another one. Then are we okay? The Ravens have a lot of homework to do now. I know that they're doing that at safety because that question is burning at safety. What if we lost another one? What if Geno Stone or Kyle Hamilton unfortunately missed time? 
where would we be then? So I think safety is probably the number one priority right now with corner not far behind it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think running back is a position where I think we talked about it, and I think you and I even talked about it, Spencer, where if one of those guys were to go down, we said, well, if Dobbins were to miss some time, if Edwards were to miss some time, there was enough depth. You, you wouldn't want to see it because it lowers the ceiling, but there was enough depth for them to at least say, well, they have at least enough. At corner or safety, they're so stretched thin, especially with the Marcus Williams stuff and Marlon not being there. Where I agree with your mindset, don't remove one, remove two and see how you feel because you've already removed one. If the second one goes down, then you're in a much more world of hurt and you're relying on depth guys, young guys. And for a Ravens team that has such high expectations, how long of a leash do you give those guys before you just say, you know what, we have to go out there and get a veteran. So for Jonathan Taylor, I believe he would raise the Ravens ceiling running back wise, assuming he's healthy, assuming everything's good. But then the question becomes, well, what are you giving up for him? What does the contract look like? Is it a rental and how much would you give up for a rental? So there are a lot of moving parts with it. But we'll get to injury updates in the final part of the show with Marcus Williams and all the rest of the guys. But coming up in the second part here, we'll be breaking down the Ravens and Texans game, getting Spencer's thoughts on what he saw. So be sure to stay tuned. A lot to get to on Lockdown Ravens. But first, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. And get ready for the NFL season with incredible offers from FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers can bet $5 and get 200 bonus bets guaranteed. Plus, all the customers who bet $5 get $100 off NFL Sunday ticket from YouTube and YouTube TV. Now is the best time to join FanDuel. The app is easy to use. You can bet on everything from the spreads, the player props, and more. So if you're looking for the Ravens and Bengals matchup next week, you can check it out over on FanDuel to look for any bets you are willing to put some money on it and if you're willing to bet lamar jackson over unders at beckham jr zay flowers had a great game you can do all that with FanDuel. so visit fanduel.com slash locked on and kick off the nfl season with an offer you won't want to miss then do push a partner of the nfl we're back here our second part of locked on ravens kevin on through here with spencer schultz recording on this monday night where jk dobbins had the Achilles injury it's looking like aaron Rodgers might have one too for the jets we got an update recently that says there's fear according to jordan schultz that he's dealing with an achilles injury so i don't know what it is with these achilles spencer but the aaron Rodgers era might uh be over before it began this season for the jets and that that's pretty unfortunate especially for a team that pretty much went all in for him and, and gave him that huge contract but Ravens dealing with the injury to J.K. Dobbins and that Achilles happened decently early on in that Texans game. The Ravens win 25 to 9, 13 penalties for the Ravens for 106 yards, tied for seventh most in franchise history. They had 21 against the Lions in 2005, I looked up, which is crazy in its own right. But how do you feel like they did? Was this a game that you left feeling confident? Did you leave feeling worried? I know week one overreactions both ways can be pretty big. So where, where were your feelings? Yeah, I think that the Ravens offensively were trying to communicate a lot and at a high level and quickly at times and just don't have the game reps, don't have the lime rep, live reps. And watching Lamar Jackson communicating at the line of scrimmage a ton, it felt like the snap count was unclear at times. So things as simple as that. Things as simple as what is the snap count? We saw a third and ten where Lamar Jackson ends up getting flagged for intentional grounding because the Texans kind of voided the A-gaps when the ball was snapped and brought outside pressure on both sides. There were free rushers on both D-gaps coming outside and no one blocking them, not even in their way, because the snap count appeared to be a point of confusion. So things like that, things like I said, Lamar Jackson 
letting a ball go get poked out, barely holding on to it in the open field, and then putting one on the ground and then having Justice Hill kick it without any contact of any sort. Um, you know, it's fluky. It's rusty. We saw Lamar Jackson say he was rusty. He forced a cross-body, short pass, well-covered interception early in this game in Texans territory. So three turnovers, like I mentioned. Uh, there were some penalties. The offensive line had a ton of issues. You don't have Mark Andrews out there. You did suffer a lot of injuries. But the interesting thing, I think, and I honestly think we do to a degree, to trying to find the right words, I think we do overrate maybe certain players going down and what their replacement can do, what an average player could do, maybe how big of a leap that is. With a lot of positions, a lot of players, and, and having a good well-coached team and a good system in place can quell some of those things. But despite Dobbins and Stanley and Linderbaum going down offensively, the Ravens picked things up later in the game. In the second half, offensively, they played more cohesively. A rhythm started to develop. They started to push the ball downfield. They leaned into Zay Flowers. They were able to generate a couple decent runs. Uh, they had a really cool crunch run concept, which is kind of like a wham and a trap at the same time, where they basically let three Texans off defensive linemen step up field unblocked and lose their footing and then had a blocker hit them from the side. Gus Edwards ends up reeling off a nice run there. So um, it was impressive that they did start to pick things up. It honestly kind of felt like last year's season opener against the Jets. They didn't really have those highlight touchdowns that Lamar Jackson had to Devin Duvernay and Rashad Bateman, but they picked it up later in the game. They started moving the football. They started being able to put points on, and the defense remained steadfast throughout. Um, defensively, obviously, the Ravens struggled to generate pressure tremendously in the first half. They turned it on in the second half. We end up seeing Justin Matabike and Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith and Ardarius Washington all walk out of this game with sacks and end up having five sacks overall. David Ajabo gets a huge strip sack late. So – you end up with five sacks. You don't even let up 10 points. And I think the Ravens allowed one play over 20 yards. I think Nico Collins had a 29-yard reception, something like that. Uh, one play over 20 yards. The next longest play was 19. I think after that was 14. What is today's emphasis? If you're watching NFL Live or ESPN, uh, you know any football show, explosive plays, explosive plays. How do you limit explosive plays defensively? Well, the Ravens did that. Uh, they did that despite not having Marlon Humphrey, despite not having Marcus Williams for a portion of this game and looked pretty strong late in the game. They turned it on. It wasn't the uh, the collapse late in the fourth quarter at home that we saw a lot in the early goings last year. So Ravens have a couple tough divisional games. Hopefully I'm not speaking those into existence. I might be, but ultimately uh, defensively, you felt like you could hang your hat on them to, to get the job done, get off the field. And offensively, you get, had three giveaways and still covered a 10 point spread. So it was a shaky performance. You lose some players, but at the end of the day, you covered a 10 point spread. I think only 37% of 10 point favorites have covered in the last five years, if I'm not mistaken. So goes to show any given Sunday in the NFL. And again, one or no beat a rookie quarterback at home that you were supposed to. And there you go. Isn't your theory that no Metallica means a win for the Ravens? Yeah, they only played Metallica once. So Okay. It was one doom, 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 doom. One beat of the drum. Didn't play it 15 times in a row as Jacoby Brissett starts <laughs> to push the ball downfield to Amari Cooper late in the game, or Tyreek Hill becomes uncovered for the second possession in a row over top. Um, so less Metallica, more defense. That is that is my slogan for the season.
I think that should be that should be a stat you keep for the entire season. How many times have they been play Metallica, and what does it mean for the result? That that should be your uh, your what experiment this year, trying to figure that out. That'll be my thesis for sure. There you go. Write a report on it and report back. That's what we'll do. The Lock on Ravens report will be how many times do the Ravens play Metallica. But you mentioned the offensive line, Spencer. I want, I want to end the second segment and then start the third segment with the offensive line because of the injuries to Stanley and Linderbaum. We talked about how they didn't play very well. Myself and a lot of other people do agree. And the tape shows it. What's your concern level with the guys and what you saw out of that line on Sunday? High, very, 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 very high. I don't think that they looked particularly in shape. I don't know if that was simply that they need a game or two or that they just aren't in a great spot. Um, I think Todd Munkin did a lot of great things, spread the field out early. We saw some creative usage of 11 personnel using Nelson Aguilar and Rashad Bateman as tight ends, having them chip and then release. Saw him manufacture touches to Zay Flowers. We saw... That, that buzzword spacing did look better throughout the game. There was more room to operate. There were some lighter boxes. But when you spread the field out, you are going to, conversely, put more pressure on your offensive line to hold up in one-on-ones, to be able to pick up blitzes and stunts. Um, there's not as much of a run threat. There's not as many guys to account for in the box. It can be coming downhill. It's not going to slow a pass rush down as much. And I think D'Amico Ryan's front, Will Anderson and John Grenard, handed the Ravens butts to them on a silver platter, especially in the first half. Really, Will Anderson did it the whole day, beat tight ends up, made Kohler and likely both look silly on the backside of zone plays, uh, did a, a lot to really thwart this Ravens run game. So we saw, in theory, when you want to go more into that spread direction, you're going to put pressure on your offensive line. They are going to have to play better. They will have tougher assignments. They did not step up to that challenge. Um, I don't know. I saw some PFF grades, Morgan Moses, John Simpson rated very highly. I, I usually like their offensive line grades. I, I don't know what, where a 80 something or high 70, whatever it was for Morgan Moses comes into play. He got beat for a sack, let up a holding call where he would have let up another sack if he didn't hold. Will Anderson beat him to the punch at least three times in the run game. John Simpson was on his stomach. John Simpson was on his back. I don't think Ronnie Stanley had a remarkable game, especially in the run game by any way, in any way, shape, or form. Wasn't cutting off linebackers. Um, so, you know, credit to D'Amico Ryan's defense. I think we think about the Texans in one light, but we don't know what they are. We do know that D'Amico Ryan's has had a really sharp, aggressive, penetrating one-gap style defense the last couple of years in San Francisco. John Grenard and Will Anderson, I think regardless of how good or bad or average the Ravens offensive line ends up, are going to be outstanding this year. Grenard, a uh, really ascending player the last couple of years. Will Anderson was picked so high for a reason is an immediate impact run defender and looked super sharp in a multitude of ways as a pass rusher, but the Ravens offensive line got exposed. Lamar Jackson was uncomfortable because of it. We saw an adjustment. Pat Ricard starts having to go block outside linebackers and ends. I think Pat Ricard should be on the field a lot more than a Charlie Kohler should at this point in the season. Um, you can't go ask Kohler and likely to go take heavy run snaps. It looks like right now and be successful. So bring Pat Ricard on the field. He doesn't need to be in motion. He doesn't need to be in the slot. He can simply just go block. He, we saw some cool concepts with some split zone pass play action stuff. Uh, one of my favorite plays of the day offensively was, I think it was the opening play of the Ravens' first possession of the second half. Todd Munkin goes under center, runs a play action with Pat Ricard in the backfield, or as tight end, I believe, 
splits Ricard across the formation, who picks up the right defensive end. And it was a true play action, seven-step drop. Zay Flowers runs a comeback. Odell Beckham runs a 16-yard dig. And we're able to go get a completion against Derek Stingley to Zay Flowers, get the ball from the, the 25 up to midfield just about. And I think able to go score on that drive, if I'm not mistaken. So um, under center game, play action game, Pat Ricard helping out the offensive line, especially now that you don't have Stanley. All of those things are going to need to happen. You're going to go play a DJ Reader and a Trey Hendrickson and uh, a, a pretty pretty violent Bengals front that has given you some trouble. So Luana Rumo is going to give you more trouble. It, I don't know why that would change without Tyler Linderbaum and Ronnie Stanley and J.K. Dobbins and maybe Mark Andrews. So prepare for that, and I think you might be in an okay spot. Yeah, DJ Reader scares me. That uh, <laughs> that Bengals front seven definitely scares me. And coming up with the final part of the show, we'll dive into the injuries for Ronnie Stanley, Tyler Linderbaum, Marcus Williams, talk a bit more J.K., and get into how the Ravens could try to maneuver those losses. So be sure to stay tuned, plan to get to on the show. But first, this episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. And if you're looking for daily fantasy sports, look no further than Prize Picks. Prize Picks is the most fun I've personally had winning up to 25 times my money this football season. All you have to do is select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and place your entry. Prize Picks is super simple to play, too. You know, I can make my picks and submit my entry in less than 60 seconds, and it's been great to be able to have that quick submission process. They have quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stats types and those are all things that make prize picks the number one daily fantasy sports app so if you're looking for a couple of things on prize picks to select i'm personally selecting a couple that i like and there are a lot of different things to get in on the action you can go saquon barkley for more than his projected rushing total Otto beckham jr for more than his projected receiving total maybe or lamar jackson for more than his projected passing touchdown total on prize picks, they have weekly promotions that can lead to big payouts like Taco Tuesday. Each Tuesday, prize picks discounts select player projections up to 25% to provide even more value. And prize picks now offers Apple Pay for quick, easy deposits into your account this football season. Go to prizepicks.com slash lockdown NFL and use code lockdown NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's again, prizepicks.com slash lockdown NFL. Use code lockdown NFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Daily fantasy sports made easy. We return rounding out locked on Ravens. Kevin Ostriker still here with Spencer Schultz and Spencer. Well, let's start off with the offensive line. Ronnie Stanley, Tyler Linderbaum, John Harbaugh clarifying that those are both sprains, knee sprain, ankle sprain, and should be week to week. So I wouldn't necessarily expect them for the Cincinnati game and probably maybe a couple more. The Ravens have options in terms of how they fill the left tackle and center spot. How do you think they should and how do you think they will do it? I, I think if I were the Ravens, I would flip. I know Cole Jackson feels the same way. I would flip Morgan Moses over to left tackle. I would insert Daniel Falele at right tackle, and Sam Mustafer or Patrick McCary would take over at center. Um, I might lean towards McCary, but McCary's had some snap issues that I don't think Ravens fans like very much. What I think they will do is Mustafer will play center, and Pat McCary will play left tackle. That is two changes instead of three which is probably why the Ravens will do it. Maybe we see a little bit of a rotation of Falele and McCary, but McCary is the swingman. He is probably a better pass protector, a more, let's say, consistent pass protector, especially in true pass downs probably than Daniel Falele. Although I do think Falele is maybe a 10, 15% drop off in, in how many pressures you'll allow or quarterback hits, you know, a, a touch below what McCary can do. But in the run game, I would think Falele is 
significantly more impactful than Pat McCary is. So we've seen the Ravens do some weird things, especially in the Greg Roman days of Ben Powers and DJ Fluker and Tyree Phillips being in these rotations, something that doesn't happen too often, especially at the NFL level. Uh, maybe we see a touch of that, but ultimately I think it's going to be Mustafer and McCary, and I don't anticipate it going very well. I think the Bengals are going to wreck shop up front. Yeah, I, I'm i worried about that. But again, DJ Reader to me is just, he's so good. <laughs> he's so, so good. Trey Hendrickson has been great for the Bengals, and I don't know how it's going to go, but I mean, I'm, I'm holding out hope it'll go fine, but I just, I really don't feel good about it in my heart there. But moving on to the safety, Marcus Williams has a pec injury. John Harbaugh say he's mulling options, including surgery. You know, it's assumed he's going to miss some time. Uh, we don't know exactly how much, but it will probably be a, a little bit of time, just, just a little more than I think a lot of people would want to see. Williams Spencer before coming over to the Ravens played in almost all the games for the Saints. He missed, I believe, four in five seasons. He's already had the injury last season, missed seven games last year for the Ravens, is now slated to miss even more time for them. You mentioned Geno Stone. Brandon Stevens can play some safety if they want. Daryl Worley, I think, is a guy they expect to fill in, too. I mean, Ardarius Washington's playing slot for you, so I don't think he's going to be the guy that steps in, even though he can do it. How, how big of a loss is Williams, and what do you think they do to end up replacing his snaps in this production? Yeah, I mean, I think Geno Stone immediately steps in and doesn't come off the football field. I don't even know that there's really a question of anything immediately because of that. It will change some things for you schematically. You'll ask a little bit more of Marcus Williams than you will of Geno Stone, ultimately, in a couple different ways. But the question to me is what happens if a Kyle Hamilton or a Geno Stone end up missing time additionally? And that question is not something that I think the Ravens are prepared to answer. Because of that, I think they are going to have to make an addition through trade or free agency. I would assume through free agency. I think the Ravens would like to keep all of their draft capital up until towards the trade deadline if possible. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's not the wisest move. I, I, if there's one thing Eric DaCosta does – in my opinion, it is pick up the phone and figure out what everything he wants or needs will cost. I think he is a busy, busy man. I think he puts a lot of minutes on his cell phone at the facility. So with that in mind, I would expect a free agent to come in immediately, get acclimated. I think the Ravens worked out Deron Harmon at some point, if I'm not mistaken, this offseason. Maybe it was recently. I can't recall. I remember seeing that name linked. That would be my best guess for a signing. I'm not sure that there's – much out there name-wise, again, you look at a guy like Ronald Darby. He wasn't someone that was really often linked to the Ravens and ends up being a week one starter and playing well. So relatively well, considering expectations and maybe where he was a month ago. But um, similar situation, I think they go sign a veteran safety. They need to. I think they have to. And get them acclimated. Get them into football shape. Get them into this defense. Um Luckily, you still do have Kyle Hamilton and Geno Stone is a very strong backup guy that played some darn good football, especially at first was picked on a little bit. I think the Broncos uh, game is, is probably my one memory from last season where he really got picked on some under center play action, deep shot stuff where they got him turned around, let up an explosive play here and there, but also had an outstanding game against Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers as a huge stop on a third down disguising coverage coming up and making some plays in man. So I think Geno Stone's a very nice player. I think Geno Stone has an opportunity, played a lot last year in the same system, going to play a lot this year in the same system, has every opportunity to go get paid in free agency, go get a $10, 15000000 million contract somewhere else, or maybe even in Baltimore. So 
Geno Stone, the ball is in your court, and Eric DaCosta, the ball is in your court to figure out what safety you're going to bring in. I think you have to bring one in and quickly. Yeah, I think Adrian Amos would be pretty nice to have right now if you were the Ravens. That's somebody that they were linked to and tried to sign, but the Jets came in after the Chuck Clark injury and uh, swooped him up, I'm sure, for more opportunity once Clark went down. The Jets got desperate. I mean, they Chuck Clark, they traded for him, and then he goes down. But that that's part of the reason why you go and look for depth signings and look for guys who can fill in and play high-quality snaps because of injuries exactly like this. And I'm not saying that Adrian Amos and Marcus Williams are the exact same player, but just to have that positional depth is really key. But Spencer, Mark Andrews and Marlon Humphrey, two guys who could return this week. John Harbaugh gave an update, said Marlon does have a shot to play with Mark Andrews. He kind of hinted more towards the injury report. Do you think those guys will slash should play? And then how do you think you see this Bengals game going overall? I have no idea if those guys will play. Um, I, I frankly don't. Mark Andrews, to my knowledge, was supposed to play. Suffered a little bit of a setback that made him not feel comfortable on Friday. And Marlon Humphrey, it's tough. You're about to go play a Bengals team that absolutely torched you two years ago. You were able to put a lid on a lot having to do with Marlon Humphrey and uh, Marcus Williams in one of those games and uh, Kyle Hamilton. Um, Now you're without a lot of your key coverage defenders. Uh, Rock is in, not up to speed like you thought he would be. Doesn't get a ton of burn in this game. So the Bengals, who... Started slow last year as well. We'll be licking their chops, hoping they can go put up more than three points against a Ravens secondary that's super banged up. And the Ravens, you know, while they did have a nice effort rushing the passer and saw Adafi Owe hopefully take a step forward, saw Justin Matabike go get a sack. The linebackers did it. Darius Washington, all those guys we mentioned, still lack that dominant pass rusher. Um, You're going to go see Orlando Brown Jr. and Jonah Williams, which is probably the best set of tackles they've had. Jonah Williams much better suited to slide over to the right side. The Bengals have had in quite some time. So um, with that, the 49ers just wreck shop against them. They don't feel too good about themselves. Joe Burrow, much like Aaron Rodgers, who had a calf strain that just looks like it turned into an Achilles. We're seeing Adam Schefter say it is an Achilles that they're fearing. Um, That's worrisome for the Bengals. It is worrisome what the Browns and Jim Schwartz just did to you. It is worrisome that your quarterback who missed pretty much all of camp with that calf strain didn't look great, and you're worried about his health, and the Ravens were able to hit him, able to force him to move, do a lot of those things. So uh, very curious to see how that one plays out, but I guess we'll see. Yeah, I think for Baltimore, it's an opportunity for them to get a win against an division rival, but, I mean, at the same time, a lot of this is going to have to do with the health situation and who's going to step up. It's been a huge theme for the Ravens. Well, who's going to step up now that all the veterans like Clay Campbell and Chuck Clark and Marcus Peters were all gone. Well, now it's who's going to step up because everybody's getting injured. And I don't know, Spencer, if they're just paying for their unbelievable injury luck in 2019 when I don't think they lost any. I think they lost Tavon Young and Pernell McPhee that year. That was it. Like they only lost those two contributors. And then the next three plus seasons have just been brutal injury wise. So it's been terrible, but hopefully the Ravens will, the injuries will subside and they'll be able to replace that production. But I appreciate you hopping on Spencer. Thank you so much for coming on and and giving you some time on this taco Tuesday. Please tell people where they can find you and what you're working on here as the season kicks off. Definitely churning through film at Ravens for dummies on Twitter. You can check out the exit 52 podcast, anywhere you get your podcast. We are going to be having, a game review after every game. We will have the jumbo set, which is Jake Luke and myself every single Wednesday morning. And you can go check out our Friday game previews every single Friday. So go check those out. 
make sure to go download those, download this podcast, give Kevin five stars, share this podcast with a friend, reward the man who gives you the best daily Ravens coverage. Thank you so much. I'll talk to you guys next week. I appreciate you as always, Spencer. Be sure to check his workout. It'll all be in the description below. That's all I have for you here today on Locked On Ravens. Thank you so much for tuning in. When we get back into more and more Ravens content, so be sure to stay tuned for that. We'll see you right back here tomorrow on Locked On Ravens.